listening to No More Mondays, the podcast that helps you navigate career challenges through the wisdom of professionals who have been at the same crossroads. I'm your host, Angie Callen, and I welcome you to join me each week as I chat with leaders, entrepreneurs, and employees who are here to share their practical, tactical advice and some inspiration on how they arrived at career and life satisfaction. From job searching and career changes to going out on your own, we are breaking down barriers and providing actionable takeaways to help you take charge of your Mondays and ditch those Sunday blues. Welcome to No More Mondays. Hey, everyone, and welcome to No More Mondays. As always, I am your host, Angie Callen. Here's a question for you. Who are you growing? It's an interesting question to ask yourself, isn't it? Are you growing yourself? Are you growing others? Are you growing both? And then you could even throw in another wrench and ask yourself how you're growing you and all of those other things. Leadership development is not a luxury. It is a necessity, and at least that's how Joe Lynch looks at it. Joe's perspective on leadership is really interesting. As a software engineer, Joe has grown through the ranks as a technical leader. He's worked at Google and has been a VP at Twilio, where he was growing quite a team size-wise and individuals within it. There are a lot of stigmas around technical professionals and leadership. Some are true, as I can attest to a former engineer experiencing management, and some can be broken and are meant to be broken. And Joe and I are going to dig into all of that and maybe some more as he joins me on the show today. So Joe Lynch, welcome to No More Mondays. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And I, you know, side note to everybody out there, you know, I've known Joe for about the past year. So I've got some insider knowledge on kind of what we're going to get into today. And I'm excited because this is a perspective and a a topic that I think doesn't get talked about enough in the professional world and should more. And that's kind of the idea of healthy leadership. And I think this is a very prevalent challenge in technology. And before we get into to that entirely, I think it would be great to give everybody out there a little bit more of you know, an idea where you've come from. So your background, where your perspective on this has come from. So tell everybody a little bit about you and, and the foundation that got you into tech, technology leadership. Sure. Um, I, I guess I'll start at the beginning. I studied physics in college and thought I wanted to be a physicist for a brief period of time and then figured out that I didn't want to. Uh, I went to grad school for a little bit. I wanted the elbow patches and the pipe and the PhD plaque or something, but I didn't want to earn the PhD. So uh, I remember seeing people in the lab that had been there for seven years and I couldn't understand what they were doing and I had a physics degree. So the the thing that I realized in hindsight though was I liked problem solving. Uh, I couldn't really put my finger on it at the time, but looking back, I think that's uh, what was common between physics and technology. So This was the year 2000, I guess, that I entered the technology field. I went to work at a consulting firm. Uh, It was smaller, a smaller firm that tended to hire analytic types like myself, physics PhDs, math PhDs and things like that. And so I I went there and I worked and I learned about building software. I I had um, done a little bit of programming before I came in. but I never had a sense that I would do that for a living. I, I always thought it was kind of neat, uh, but I found that I enjoyed it. I enjoyed working with really smart people. I enjoyed learning fast. Over time, you know, I, I grew from knowing nothing to knowing at least a few things. Um, I managed my own practice area, had to sell my own work and things like that. I think in hindsight, the thing that I derived the most benefit from was owning things end to end. 
And I didn't realize, I see it now in hindsight, but I, I didn't realize at the time that that's not all that common to have the ability to do that. Uh, so I spent 10 years doing that, and I enjoy the work in a lot of ways. Uh, it was all enterprises and stuff, some Fortune 500 companies and some tiny companies. But I had a growing family. I needed to get off the road. So I took a job uh, at a company that has a fairly complex niche software as a service product within the logistics space. So I worked doing that. I guess it was three and a half, four years. And I enjoyed it. And it had an interesting um, set of challenges. But I, towards the end, I, I felt like I needed to do something different. And I also found myself thinking that I wanted to go back to having that feeling of having trouble keeping up. So I remember in the beginning of my career, I sort of felt like I was constantly scribbling notes and trying to figure out what it was that people were talking about. They would drop these technical or business terms and have no idea what they were talking about. I wanted that feeling again because I felt like I had gotten to the point where I was spending too much time at the whiteboard explaining rather than, um, you know, ha having trouble keeping up. And so I know that sounds odd, but that was one of the my motivations. So I, I went to Google. Uh, I was there about five and a half years, and I did have trouble keeping up. So I would say that I was successful in that sense. Um, and it was a neat place. It was a neat place culturally. Um, it is a place of hu fallible humans. I mean, I, I do think that there's this uh, sense that somehow – Companies that are great at one thing are necessarily great at everything. And it, that wasn't the case. Uh, but there were a lot of things to learn and a lot of uh, a lot of great people to work with. And then I spent a year at Twilio. I, I uh, just recently departed Twilio. I was the VP of Eng for infrastructure. And so everything, all of Twilio's products, um, which are also interesting and, and high scale products, run on top of this platform that I was responsible for. Um, and it involved ownership of compute, networking, observability, cost efficiency, uh, databases, things like that. So, uh, again, great experience, got to work with some great people. Um, and that, that sort of brings us to today. So that's the long version, maybe too long. Sorry about that. Eh, don't worry. We like detail. And also you're a technical person. So detail comes into play. But I was and I'll jump in and say there was a point in your trajectory where you sat and you, and you thought I'm not being challenged. And what I think yeah. is so interesting about that, when you, when you then went to Google and said, yeah, I got challenged for five and a half years. What I found is so interesting about that is early on in your career, that even though you are, a, 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 your analytical and, and engineer traits are your, are very strong. You were exposed to a well-roundedness early on with that kind of like full life cycle management, relationship management, having to sell your own consulting services and also execute on them that I, I'm having I have a feeling created a little bit of this foundation and perspective on how to approach kind of leadership, because you have an awareness around the business of technology that a lot of times, uh, you know, engineering leaders don't necessarily have. So I'm curious along that path, where did the the all of that kind of business, well-rounded relationship stuff start to form this perspective around growing others? Like what was your experience around positive and negative leadership that started to create this foundation of how you approach it? Oh yeah, it's a good question. It's I personally I think we're we're very malleable early in our careers. 
are, are, you know, almost like children in a sense, children, you know, their early experiences can set them along certain paths and help them to develop certain tendencies. My experience anyway, was when I was in earlier in my career and I managed to, uh, to learn from some people that really helped me a great deal. The person that comes uh, to mind was a guy that I worked with. His name was uh, David. So shout out to, to David. Thanks, David. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess I worked with him for a neighborhood of five to seven years or so. It was a long time. He had a way about him where, at least with me, I think, you know, everybody's experience was different. Um, but at least with me, I felt like we struck a good balance. I think he saw the potential in me kind of out of thin air. Like, frankly, I look back and I'm saying, wow, if he hadn't plucked me from the crowd, where the hell would I be? Where would you be? Yeah, yeah. I had been at the consulting firm a couple of years and... I was working on a project just as, you know, an individual contributor. And I, I, you know, I suppose I was doing a good job, but I I saw no reason why he should have plucked me from the crowd. Well, he plucked me, even though he hadn't worked with me and saw something and then put me in a leadership position. And um, it was a pretty high impact um, and high risk uh, decision for him to do that. But he he mentored me and um, all throughout he definitely wanted to ensure results. That was his his most important thing. He was very transparent about that. But he was also transparent saying the best way for me to do that is to grow you, you know. Yeah. And he, he he made it clear that it was like, I'm doing this because it makes business sense. <laughs> but it ended up having it ended up having like an emotional, mental, much bigger impact, at least on you and probably the business, too, yeah. than just dollar signs, which is such an interesting outcome. Yeah. And, and so what I found was. He would he would do things like when he's doing something that he was pretty sure I didn't have experience in, he would proactively explain what he was doing. And then over time would go past that and say, "Okay, now you do this yourself. And maybe he would sanity check it. And now you do this yourself and I'm not going to sanity check it. Um, And he would give me very clear feedback. He didn't dance around things if if it was something of a construct, uh, constructive nature, I never felt disrespected, but you were always clear where you stood. It was always clear where you stood. That was the, my, my favorite thing about him. Ultimately, we got to the point where I, I grew to have the, the same role that, that he had, although, you know, he moved on. He's, uh, I think he's a city group these days, but um, I, I just got, I got to learn a lot. And I also got to learn a lot about, like business sensibilities. He sort of had a, uh, an innate sense of business reality and fairness. I mean, he was like, in addition to be, he had a PhD in physics from Yale, but in addition to being wicked sharp, he would sort of put out there his perspectives or opinions, regardless of whether you agreed with them or not on like ethics and all kinds of things. Um, and it was always interesting to, to work with someone that had, had an opinion about so many things. Now, in the end, like, did I agree with every opinion? Probably not. But it was interesting um, to think to, to have somebody that would have, uh, you know, ethical opinion about whether it was okay to expense uh, laundry detergent when you were <laughs> when you were on a consulting travel budget. <laughs> uh, well, and we all know I love people who have never-ending opinions about everything because that's one of my things. And I I think it's interesting that. This is like a, a builds respect, right? Because I think especially in like today's style of communications, directness, I think is very wanted, but can also be 
like feared by people. Oh yeah. Um, and, and, but there's a lot to be said because you can be, I I like to use the term tactfully direct Mm because you can be direct and super clear and just, yeah, here's what I think without also being a sharp object. And it sounds like he was able to give you that, uh, example to then potentially carry forward. And you brought up the M word mentorship, which has Mm -hmm. been, a very common theme on No More Mondays around that idea of like, how do you form really great perspectives on leadership and and all these kinds of things? And I and I also there's a couple of things you said I wanted to make sure I highlighted. And we're going to go back to mentorship, but the malleable word mm-hmm. I totally agree with. And I think when you're early in your career, I've been having this conversation frequently lately. I think this is interesting. When you're early in your career, that's exactly what can happen. But I think it could be like good malleable. Or bad malleable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember when I was in my first job out of college, I was I worked for a landscape architecture firm as a civil engineer. And the civil engineering department was very small because we were kind of like support to all these big landscape architecture projects around the world. And I I apparently work at a pace that's faster than your average human. Mm -hmm. And I remember being bored a lot Mm because I would get my work done. But I had a manager who didn't feel approachable. And I used to like tiptoe and I'd be like, oh, can I go ask for more work? And it just felt uncomfortable. And I find that the malleable, like what came out of that is a is a complete opposite action. Right. Like I want to make sure I'm super approachable. Anybody can come and talk to me. So it's those can either mold you in the way that you see or mold you in ways that go against like negative habits, which I also think is is really yeah, interesting. Yeah. Sometimes so, I think we have that reaction, which is, I, well, I learned a lot from that person. I learned that I don't want to be like that. Yes. Um, although I think sometimes we can also incorporate the fact that some negative behavior is a norm because that's how. Um, you know, that's what we were exposed to for the first 10 years of our career. It was whatever. The CEO was nasty every day. And so I get the sense that it's normal to be nasty. And then I carry that with me to my next job. It's a lot like being a kid in your family, right? And the, yeah. the, the, the idiosyncrasies of family and parental relationships and how they treat you can either be carried forward in your future habits or they can become negative things that you saw and now say, that's what I, I don't want. And I want to I want to kind of bring this into the, the company, the atmosphere a little bit. And because I, I really appreciate your perspective on why this type of very um, intentional like leadership and growing of, of people proactively is so important to a company. Right. And, and you said it, David was really thinking of the business bottom line, but that's had such a big ripple effect. So to, to bring it back to, I would, what is your perspective on that? Like, why is this important in, you know, that big enterprise environment? Yeah, I I think at its most fundamental, like when I step back and and I ask myself, when I'm in a, when I'm in a leadership position, what's my job? I usually distill it to, to one sentence, which is it's generic, but at least for me, keeps me honest. My job is to deliver business results. What, what those are contextual, um, while helping people to do their very best work. And so if you notice, technology is not even in there. Um, Technology is a means to an end. Um, And I'm not willing to stack rank growing people and getting business results. I'm not going to, generally speaking, I'm not going to do one at the expense of the other. I have to do both. And so 
if I'm getting great results, but doing it on by stepping on somebody's back, I'm a failure. Um, if I'm, you know, the, the nicest leader ever and I coddle people and they, you know, they grow, but I'm not delivering business results, I'm, I'm failing. Uh, so I, I try to figure out a way to, to do both. I think one of the reasons that um, it's really important for businesses to be mindful of this is uh, first, the, the most basic one is you stop, you, you can't scale beyond a certain point if you're not developing leaders. So it's in some sense, it's like basic succession planning. I always try to engineer myself out of a job. Uh, and I, it sounds funny, but it's kind of true. Like I want to, I want to walk into an organization that in some ways is broken or needs to improve because I like to solve problems. Right. And by, by working with folks on the team, turn that into a well humming organization and then figure out who can take my job and move on. Um, and the way to do that is by developing leaders. And if nothing else, by developing leaders, you can at least put your impression on them as far as what you think are the, the right values for them to exhibit. You're, you're not going to be able to scale unless you're growing leaders. Then people might say, oh, well, I can just get somebody from the outside. Sure. Um, that goes wrong a lot of the time. You, you know, and it's it, expensive. Yeah, it's expensive and it's incredibly risky. You have because um, leaders can have a multiplicative influence across an organization. And so you never really know what you're getting. Now, I'm, don't, I'm not saying that you shouldn't hire outside leadership. Certainly you should. But you should also think carefully about growing that person internally because they have the domain expertise. They have a track record that you, you know, you know what what they can do. They already have the respect of the people around them. They've demonstrated commitment to the business. You have a sense of their values because they've exhibited them. Uh, you know, all these things are on the, on the plus side. And then finally, you're going to improve their morale if you give them an opportunity. And my personal experience is that if I had to pick one predictive indicator of success for at least developing software, it's morale. It's how excited are you about the work? So that's why maybe not every one-on-one, -on -one, but at least I would say every other one-on-one -on -one I started with, how's your morale? Um, and it feels weird the first time that I ask it of people and then I explain what I mean. Um, and eventually they get used to it. And um, because what I find, I, I actually go further and say, how's your morale? Scale of one to 10. And <laughs> oh, I'm at a seven. They, they get used to it. And eventually what happens though is the, the reason I ask that is because the next question is, oh, I'm like at a nine. And I was like, oh, that's great. You're normally at a seven, right? The absolute numbers don't mean anything, but the, tra the but the delta does. So what's driving that? You know, and like, oh, I just, you know, last week I was able to do X and we delivered Y. And so you start to get a sense of what people value and what their motivations are. And you bring awareness for them, right? If yeah. you're bringing awareness for them to know, okay, Joe's going to ask me on Tuesday morning what my morale is. What is my morale? I'm going to check in with myself. Is it where I want it to be or is it is it not? And I think that probably builds that circle of trust with them as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I try to make sure that it sort of like feels informal, but it's I'm also transparent about what I'm trying to do because, you know, like uh, I, I don't want to I don't want them to get a sense that it's like a test. I, I have had one person, one, say, dude, can you stop me asking me that? <laughs> I'm 
I'll tell you if I'm if I'm upset. I'm like, All right, fine. Um, and that but, told you that told you something about that. Yes, yeah. person. Uh, she she valued she valued directness, um, and I, I greatly appreciated that. But more often than not. You know, people take dips, or at least those are the ones that I have to pay really close attention to. Because we if don't somebody... operate at a nine all the time, and and no one should expect anyone to operate at a nine all yeah, the time. Most people so giving are op- them, they, most people are operating at a seven, and you got to figure out, you got to figure that's probably an overestimate because we're going to have a bias to paint the world, you know, see the world through rosy glasses when we're explaining it to our manager. But then when somebody takes a dip, I ask the same question: Oh, what's driving that? And I can get it. Sometimes it's, oh, I have something going on personally uh, or I'm having a lot of friction with person X or I'm not getting the right things out of this group. Well, absent that conversation, chances are they wouldn't have informed me of that, you know, and in some cases I can help them. In other cases, I um, can, you know, just simply support them, hear them, see them, you know. So I don't know. I find that. um sort of unwinding and pulling back up. I, I think a lot about morale and morale is, is another thing that you can build up when you develop your own leaders uh, internally. And that's where, and I know that we were talking beforehand, this, the, the, tr- the idea of building this trust in these environments. And that's what happens when you see people as a human, right? Versus a, like a number on a spreadsheet, that is entirely replaceable. I think that's a flaw of of kind of like corporate culture now. And I, and I, I think it's great that we're having this conversation so that more people can think about this and start to think about, okay, how do I really come down to a human level and, and kind of engage my team. And I really like this idea for you, this, like you have to kind of almost think like an owner to get the most out of this team, but also be realistic at the same time. And so as we get into kind of, let's say some practical advice, I'm curious for you to tell, to kind of give us an idea of what, what do you think uh, are good factors or characteristics that promote this kind of like trust, motivating, healthy leadership environment? I'm going to look, look at that through two lenses. One is connecting it back to um, the, the idea of developing people and then I'll just jump into trust more directly, if, if that's okay. Or do you want me to jump Absolutely. into trust more directly? Which would you prefer? Whatever you want to go with it is fine. Because okay. at this point, we want we want to get in your head, right? Okay. And so leaders out there can think, like, how is Joe actually doing this outside of just asking for a scale of 1 to 10 motivator every Tuesday morning, right? So how, how do we actually cultivate this? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So my, my opinion, and, and like most things, uh, anything that's unique is, is not terribly useful and anything that's useful is not terribly unique. Like most good things, um, I get ideas from, um, from books and other experts and, 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 uh, making the same mistake 10 times over. But there are, there are a couple of books that I thought, um, hit the nail on the head, uh, with respect to building trust. One of them is the, uh, seven habits of highly effective people. Uh, Stephen Covey's, uh, classic. It talks a lot about, uh, how to build trust. And then finally, his son went off and did something of a spin-off book called The Speed of Trust. And that book blew me away, The Speed of Trust. And the, it, it, I mean, there was nothing in there fundamentally that was new, but to, they're all common sense things. If, you know, as long as you have a certain amount of professional experience and, and not all of it is even professional experience, just life experience, 
it's not rocket science, but he, he puts it all together and makes the case that trust is really uh, the most important factor for unlocking business results and being able to work in an environment where there's minimal friction. And as I got through it, I, I came to agree. And I suppose I, I think about that a lot. And so some of the things that you can do to, to build trust, that is to, to try to encourage trust in you. First off, you have to trust yourself. You have to build trust in yourself. And, and it's surprising, I think, that like you have to ask yourself, would I trust me in this context? And if the answer is no, <laughs> then then why the heck would you expect other people to, to um, trust Sometimes you, you just got to get a mirror. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so like I'm pretty hard on myself with respect to ethics, for example. And I remember, um, you know, there are small ethical challenges that I found have popped up over the years. Like when I remember when Google... Um, started to introduce reimbursement for internet. Um, it was just, you know, the honor system, Hey, get 50 bucks a month. But there was, I read the, the, I read the text and it was like, you know, you have to, you're saying that there's a material amount of internet being used a year. This was before COVID. Um, and I'm like, I can't say that with a straight face. Um, you know, there's just, just little things like that. Um, Another one, I think, is like, for lack of a better term, I'll say gossip. Will you say things in the room about someone that you wouldn't say to their face? And if the answer is yes, at least for me personally, I have to stop. And so normally one of the things that I do if I say, yeah, and the way Bob approaches this, I usually before I even say it and I say, and, you know, this is consistent with what I've told Bob or whatever. I try to like catch myself because I don't want to trash talk anybody. So anyway, you have to, whatever your things are, you have to trust yourself. I think you have to develop empathy for, um, for other people. Uh, seven, the seven habits talks about, and it's an old saying, I, I think it goes back to a Greek philosopher, uh, seek first to understand rather than to be understood. So it's so easy to just jam my idea down your throat. Don't you see it the way I do? Don't you see it the way I do? Um, but if you if you stop and, and focus on understanding the other's perspective first, they they sense that you have um, the right motivations or even showing even showing that you care that they have a perspective can go a long way. Yeah. And empathy, I think empathy is a sorely missed soft skill in today's world. And I think that it is largely the key to having better relationships at all levels and areas yeah. of your life. So I 100 percent agree with that one. Uh, I think transparency helps. I think um, being uh, and then that includes addressing conflicts and, and challenges out in the open. I, I, I think that culturally, a lot of companies have gotten to the point where um, we're afraid to have tough conversations. I, I think that uh, it's I think it's a side effect of uh, of some of the ways that we tackle tough problems in society and social media has had effect and people are afraid of being canceled and, you know, all kinds of things. But I, I have seen like an increasing amount of passive aggressiveness over the years where I feel like 15 years ago, it was, it was a lot more common to address a tough problem transparently than it, than it is today. And I, I think it's just part of being a big kid is to be able to have those conversations we take ourselves really seriously. 
sometimes. And I, and that, and to me, it means it doesn't mean you can't take your work or the outcomes you need to generate or the fact that you're trying to grow other people seriously. But I think that there's an element of fun and, and hopefulness and almost whimsy that can come from just not taking yourself within that environment so seriously yeah. that can diffuse all of those things. Yeah, it's definitely a factor. Another thing is being willing to take ownership for the res- for the results of those things that um, are within your purview, whether good or bad, especially the bad. Um, so when things go well and, and, and you say you're going to do X or you say you speak on behalf of your organization, your organization is going to achieve X and you achieve it, it's very easy to, uh, to, to bask in the glory. But if they don't achieve X, it's also very easy to find, um, you know, a scapegoat, right? But I think mm-hmm. you have to fight both of those things when – we succeed. The team did it, and um, and when we fail, I did it. Uh, is usually what I try to do. Now, if, um, sometimes you have to get into more context and stuff like that, but you have to protect your team. You have to be a lightning rod um, for your organization to keep their life sane, so that they understand it's okay to to try at something and fail. Because, but not everybody outside an organization is going to have that mindset. Sometimes. People are going to hunt and hold someone accountable. I'm like, okay, hold me accountable. You know, I'm the leader for this organization. And holding somebody accountable is a scary phrase because it, it has the connotation of who am I going to fire? Like any, any yeah. time that- um, or, or who's going to the gallows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anytime that, uh, like if you, I, I remember thinking about like the the uh, Obama healthcare website, like we have to hold someone accountable. And I remember laughing. I'm like that. I mean, somebody or multiple people are getting There's fired. There's several hundreds of yes, those. Yes, <laughs> yeah. But most of the time, account just means to tell, to, to relate, right? To to tell a story. In some sense, I, I think, it of, think of it as being able to, to relate to someone. Look, this is the path that we took. This is why I thought it was the right path. Here are the lessons I've learned. Here's the way I'm going to do it different next time. And um, and I'll make a commitment to you that this is how I'm going to do it next time. That's the accountable part. Now, ultimately, you have to take responsibility for the fact that there might be consequences to dropping the ball and delivering things over time. But I've never met anyone that doesn't fail. And, and a lot of times what allows you to grow is dealing with failure are you going to pretend that it wasn't a failure and blame the weather or are you going to accept the fact that it's like well i i knew weather was part of the deal when i went into this and maybe i didn't manage the risk appropriately and i have something to learn from this and regardless of whether it was skill or it was luck or some combination if you didn't achieve your goal you didn't achieve your goal figure out what you learned and how you're going to do it next time so that accountability i think is important and then finally trusting other people you have to trust other people in order to be trusted. Um, I think part of it is um, we have built into our brains the concept of reciprocity. Like I'll I'll give you a piece of my meat over the fire, and hopefully next time when I need a piece of meat, you'll give me some. Mm-hmm. And then I also think that there's uh, it's an application of the golden rule too, which is uh, a good you know it, the golden rule doesn't always serve you in business settings, but. I, I like to fall back on it whenever I can um, to treat people the way that you would want to be treated. And so, um, you know, it reminds, I think it was Ernest Hemingway that said, the only way you can figure out whether you can trust someone is to trust them. 
No? It's, <laughs> you have to you have to roll the dice a little it's bit. It's a double edged so, sword. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I don't 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 I don't believe in blind trust personally, but but I do think you have to extend trust uh, and be willing to take a risk on others in order for people to take a risk on, on you. I think that that's an interesting concept that just very bluntly put trust is a starting point. It's not a result, right? So trust is something you have to start with in order to build relationships with people in order to accomplish things together versus that kind of old school mentality. If you've got to prove yourself to earn my trust as like a reactive approach, let's proactively start with it. And I think that I love, I love frameworks. You work in engine, you work in engineering. Now you're a physicist. I used to be an engineer. I love methodologies. And what Joe just gave us is, a, let's see, what a seven-point framework for thinking about how you approach leadership. And what I think is really interesting about all of these is it's it's not uh, an A through F situation. It's a cycle because it's also how you're growing as a leader always, right? Because these aren't things that you ever master. You don't master, you know, you got to be honest with yourself first and, and look in the mirror if developing empathy for your team is and for others is something that you're always going to be building based on new situations, transparency, being that big kid and just being realistic, honoring commitments, accountability. You know, if you if you stick your head in the sand, you aren't going to go anywhere except for spinning a circle around the hole your head made. Right. Mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> I just made that up. And in my go. head, I was like, that's genius. Maybe that will be <laughs> one of my po- posthumous memes that makes it makes it out into the world after I die. But it's it's this idea that it's these these are emotional intelligence growth areas that as a leader, if you hone, you will then bring that full circle into the team. So it's like a whole little ecosystem and you're part of it. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And and um I would definitely encourage if these things are resonating um for people, I would definitely encourage you to read the speed of trust. Most of these things are just, you know, they're 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 not rocket science, but I felt like they were best described in in that book. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, we love these, book recommendations here. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's a new one for me. And I also think you you brought up that idea that like at this point in the world there aren't a lot of unique ideas, but there's unique presentations of those ideas that resonate with different people in different ways. And and this the speed of trust is where it really clicked with you. Yeah, yeah. And, and one of the things that you mentioned. Um, the old school, you have to earn my trust. Um, that's most of this. That's much of the setting that I'm describing. So uh, now it might be that I live in an my I live in an old school land, but there might also be some assumptions in what I'm talking about. Most of the time, I'm talking about a setting where you are walking into a new relationship where that person has no context as to your track record, and you are asking them to, in some sense, uh, take a dependency upon you to, to put their faith in you such that if you fail, you will hurt them. You will hurt their reputation or their results or whatever. So we have to do this in software all the time, whether it's one team saying, okay, I'm going to expect that your piece is going to be ready in 90 days. If your piece isn't ready in 90 days, I'm going to get my ass kicked by my product manager, and that's going to go up to the CEO. It's, it's, it's those kinds of things. Um, and then also a, a product organization trusting an engineering organization or a CEO trusting an engineering organization. These, I, I, it, it brings up something that I think is important. I think there are three 
values for for trust, not to. So you might think, that, well, there's trust and the opposite, of, then there's distrust, right? But I think most of the time, people start with, you know, I have no data. You know, I, I, so if I, if, if I've worked with someone and they've delivered to their commitments, I will establish a certain amount of trust in them. If they, if I work with someone and they, they drop the ball regularly, I may distrust. In this context, I just mean confidence. I don't mean trust in the sense of like, you know, the way you would trust your accountant to not steal your money. This is more like, do I have confidence in someone? Um, but most of the time in new relationships, we walk in and there's no trust value at all. Just, I don't it's know. It's like neutral. It's zero. It's null. Yeah. If it's, you know, it's true, true, false and null. If you're a, if you're a, um, a nerdy engineer, it's null. that's an excellent way to put it. <laughs> and, uh, the thing is like, it's like during that time that it's, you are, you're not starting with distrust. That really stinks when you're starting with distrust. Sometimes you inherit the distrust of a previous organization or previous leader and you walk in and I've had, you know, I've, I've had to do that most of the time. Skeletons can hop in your closet when you bring trauma from a previous work environment to a future one. So that's just a message for everybody out there to be aware of. Cause you're a hundred percent right. That you could be in a null situation that you're forcing false based on previous experiences. Well, yeah, but what I mean specifically is usually in a shared service organization, that is any organization that's like a horizontal, like infrastructure or platform engineering, there are only degrees of dissatisfaction. The high, because there's never enough investment in it. Um, and people always think you can do better and you're a service provider to them. So there's, it, I, there's always, usually degrees of dissatisfaction. The product um, engineering teams have degrees of dissatisfaction. But if you're walking into a situation where the previous leader, their stock price was very, very low, you've now inherited their bad track record. You've, you've inherited a false. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So that yeah. happens sometimes. But most of the time you walk in with a with a, a, a blank slate, but people are not going to default to trusting you necessarily. If they will, they'll extend a little credit line. And it's, I, I actually use that metaphor um, in my in a in a recent role, I actually I mean I remember saying this to each of the NGPs that depended upon me. I need you to give me a little bit of a credit line as far as trust goes. I'm going to do this, this, and this. Um, it's a commitment. A commitment is something where I will move mountains to make sure it happens. Um, and you could hold me to that. And then you know over time, I delivered on those commitments. And then you know the 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 sort of the trust account, the balance uh, started to increase. But it is anytime you're in a new context or a new person or you're being trusted for a different reason, don't trust me to be your financial planner, you know, or to be your plumber or whatever. So anytime is a new context, a new person, um, a new setting, you are starting. You're, you're often starting from scratch unless your reputation is going to save you. And um, it usually your reputation is it's useful data, but. It's something that you have to preserve. It's something that you will take a lifetime to build up and five minutes to tear down. But it's on its own. It's only going to be a, a support system in the end. I think you do have to earn trust with most people. To give it a, a nerdy kind of a nerdy punctuation mark at the end, you you come in with uh, a quantitative data set around, you know, your hard leadership capabilities, but you've got this clean slate on the qualitative. And that's, I yeah, think, yeah. where yeah, we have the ability to really, especially if you're moving into a new situation 
um, new role, you do have that blank slate to do something differently uh, and really think about kind of how you're carrying forward uh, your leadership or what habits you are and are bringing with you. And you just kind of really have that awareness. And I want to, and, and as a kind of like a, a bring this all together as, as we kind of wrap up this conversation, that's had so many cool little nuggets in it. I was reading your blog post, which we're going to tell everybody how to find in a minute. Um, and there was, there was a, a, a snippet in there I took out. So here comes your quote of the day that you created. Cause I feel like this is just sums up everything we've talked about so perfectly and it's is when you step back as a leader, when you step back and see someone get closer to realizing their potential and know you played a part, even if it was small in making that happen, it's rewarding beyond compare. And I think that is the out the outcome that can come when you really approach leadership with trust and the idea of intentional growing who you're growing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, I've, you know, not everybody's wired the same way. But for me personally, on any given day, I don't feel like I moved the ball forward. You and know? the dog agrees. Right. Yeah. Sorry about the dog. <laughs> but, no, he is just he is like championing us right yeah, now. Yeah. He's like, yeah, dad's on it. <laughs> yeah, I told I told my dog I was going to be doing a podcast, but it didn't, didn't think listen. he'd listen. Um, but yeah, like making a positive difference in somebody's life. That's something that just. It, it feels good. And so on any given day, that can make the difference between me feeling like I achieved something or, or I didn't. And so there is. A, and it keeps you going on the hard days is the other thing, too. At least for me. So, yes, it, it does. Yeah. So, Joe, how does everybody tune into you and your your journey as a leader in technology? Your words of wisdom. How do we find you and, and, and follow along? Oh, that's a good question. I'm not as organized as I ought to be. Uh, I do have a blog. Sorry, we're going to fix that. I, I do have a blog at softwareonthebrain.com, but I don't publish uh, enough posts there. So as we uh, say goodbye for now until we get to, get to tune into all those things, let's let's close it out with one more little piece of in, inspiration. And I would love for you to give everybody your best tip on how we can combat the Sunday scaries and embrace a life of no more Mondays. I personally, I, I, I don't know if this is generic advice, but what I, um, that, that would apply to a lot of people. But what I can say, something that sort of keeps me uh, as grounded as I can be is I, I do like a morning reading ritual. I think people would call it devotional reading. It's, it's probably analogous to people who do meditation or plunge themselves into uh you know, a bucket of ice cubes or whatever, or eat a lot of turmeric, you know, uh, for, I'll, I'll just read a, uh, a page or two out of like 10 books and there, there'll be like a book on ethics and a book on spirituality. Some of them are like about management leadership. I don't know. I feel like my, um, I get a pretty big boost from that when I, when I compare how I feel about my outlook about life, about work, uh, about my family. I feel a difference between when I start and when I am. Me too. I actually, morning, morning routines are a thing for a reason. And there's lots of books out there on those that I've recommended before. And you can take whatever tidbits and activities they suggest and adapt it to yourself. But I find when I focus on myself for a little bit in the mornings before I start giving my day to everyone else, it's, it's a drastically different uh, perspective and over time, uh, just a, a different amount of energy yeah. I am able to carry forward. So this is an excellent tip. And I even love the idea of like, read a page out of four books. Yeah. So you have, have to be pick, onerous. You have to pick 
certain types of books, those books that lend themselves to being devotional. So like, for example, I, I read all the um, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff books. I've read them like 10 times each. There's like three or four of them. And every time you read them, you get a new tidbit. Well, yeah, because the last time I looked at this page was two years ago. Um, yeah. uh, like the Meditations by Mark, Marcus Aurelius. There's, there's a, a lot of books out there that sort of lend themselves to this style. Joe Lynch, everyone, you've got good little pearls of wisdom in a lot of areas of life, whether it's how to be a technical professional, how to take a physics degree and do something very unique and growing with it how to be a good leader to others, how to have good emotional intelligence, and how to feed yourself a little bit every morning before you go and do that thing. Thank you so much for being part of the show. This was great. We talked about all kinds of good stuff. Yeah, thanks for the kind words. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, awesome. We always appreciate having people come in and be new members of the No More Mondays movement. And this is just another great story to inspire all of you out there to navigate your career crossroads and chat a path to success and fulfillment. If you would like to pick up the links to the show, uh, to our show notes from today, including the stuff we're going to keep Joe accountable to, uh, visit us at nomoremondays.info. Also, leave us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It's a huge help as we continue to inspire confident professionals and help you pursue your potential with these great stories. Again, if you want to leave us comments, feedback, drop a guest suggestion, or grab the show notes from today's episode, visit us online at nomoremondays.info, and I will... You will hear me next week for another edition of No More Mondays podcast. Thanks for joining us for another episode of No More Mondays. Tune in next week as we bring you more insights and actions to help you improve your life and career. Don't forget, visit us online at nomoremondays.info to get all the details, show notes, and recommendation from this episode. No More Mondays. We drop new episodes every Wednesday. No More Mondays is brought to you by CareerBenders, Inc. in partnership with executive producer Jane Durkee. For more information about career coaching, resume writing, personal branding, recruiting, and entrepreneurship coaching services, visit us online at careerbenders.com.